Hello, and welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things, a podcast where we talk about a few things to be grateful for and the history and stories behind them. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miller. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let's get going. Growing up, I would spend one week of the summer at my grandmother's house. During that time, we would go on different adventures around the small town, like to the zoo or simply shopping at the local craft store. My great aunt lived next door and would teach us how to crochet, embroider, or help us with sewing projects. She was actually a professor at a local university for several years of home ec and knew these skills very, very well. My grandmother would help us with painting projects. She had dozens of paintings around her house that she has completed throughout her lifetime, along with the puzzles. We would build forts in the basement, play with extra fabric that was lying around, and pretend we were characters from The Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. While at my grandmother's, we'd also help with chores or projects around the house. The most consistent project was always painting. In my grandmother's house, I've painted her kitchen, dining room, and bathroom. Throughout my life, when it came time to move out or redecorate our rooms with a fresh coat of paint, I was always fairly confident in my beginner-level abilities due to summers spent with my grandmother. While my painting skills from a more artsy vector are rather rudimentary, my sister paints beautifully, my mother and brother draw, and I enjoy and applaud it from afar, away from the brushes. I've tried. When I paint, it's like very basic shapes, which I enjoy. (laughs) From renovating home decor to pieces that move us in ways that are hard to put into words, paint has been instrumental in helping humanity define and understand its own story and experience for thousands of years, allowing us to transcend the everyday and reach something closer to a divine language that goes beyond words. So let's take a moment to talk about something that connects past, present, and future in a language without words, paint. Paint has been around for about 40,000 years with cave drawings being made from charcoal, manganese oxide, red and yellow ochre, and hematite. It is possibly one of the oldest forms of art humanity has used to express itself, at least so far as we know. It is possible that humanity has used paint from even before 40,000 years ago. As a discovery in 2003 to 2004 in South Africa, at the Blombus Cave, a mixture was discovered that may have functioned as paint, and it dated back 100,000 years. In 2011, in the same cave, a toolkit was also discovered that could have been used to create the pigment. In Europe and Australia, we also find evidence of cave paintings from 40,000 years ago. In Scotland, on the walls on the inside of Nesbrodgar, 5,000-year-old paint substances have also been found. Walls painted 2,000 years ago in Egypt, in Dendra, still show off their painted colors. The ancient Egyptians used about six colors, black charcoal, white and red ochre, yellow orpiment, green malachite, and blue azurite, and brown ochre. They applied the paint in a two-layer process, one of the layers being a gummy substance. Over the years, humanity has used a number of different pigments and ingredients for oil, from those that turned out to be toxic for us, like the inclusion of lead, to those that were more friendly, like egg yolk, sap, dried plants, the juice of berries, roots, charcoal, ochre, blood, and more. Okay, the blood sounds like less friendly, but you get the idea. These pigments and materials would be mixed with a number of other materials, from water, to spit, to urine, to animal fats. Painters would then use brushes or their fingers to create their art. There is even evidence of ancient artists using animal bones to apply paint by blowing through the bones, like our airbrush paints today. Artists would travel far and wide to find their ingredients. And we know this because many of these ancient paints were mineral-based, and we can examine these under the microscope to learn more about their origin. 
In fact, it has been discovered that some artists made a very long journey to obtain ochre. These artists traveled 25 miles from where they found the ochre to the caves where they made their paintings in Lascaux Cave, which is now modern-day France. Remember the earlier mention of egg yolk as an ingredient? Well, this was one developed by the Egyptians, who used it to create a longer-lasting paint that they could use on plaster. They would also use beeswax or resin to act as a binding agent to the plaster. The ancient Minoans took it one step further by creating the fresco technique, applying the paint onto wet plaster. The Greeks and Romans continued to make their own improvements with paint, with the Greeks creating a lead-white paint that lasted much longer. There was actually a lot of crossover among the ancient people's experience with paint. From the Greeks to the Romans to the Egyptians and Minoans, the Romans used Egyptian and Greek pigments and then added their own, including red vermilion from Spain. Romans also used the fresco techniques from the Greeks and Minoans. In China, it was a more water-based paint that ruled the day. The earliest examples we have are of painting pottery, which date back to the last part of the Stone Age. This Neolithic art was created as far back as 7,500 to 2,000 BCE. The painted pottery period was especially in bloom in 4,000 to 2,000 BCE. The style of art was also different than that in a Western style. It was focused more on abstraction than on realism, also with perhaps more focus on landscape paintings than on portraiture. Late Neolithic painting pottery showed flourishing lines and dots as painted decoration. The process of painting was also something that was itself celebrated and required a great deal of discipline and skill from an artist. As much as the painting itself was worthy of admiration, the entire preparatory process of connecting with something infinitely larger than oneself was also worthy of celebration and was a process that was taken very seriously. In China as well, we see the invention of wash painting, a watercolor painting invented by Wang Wei in the Tang Dynasty. This was later introduced to Japanese monks in the Song Dynasty and flourished in Japan as an art form as well. In India, while there were likely miniature paintings in Hindu and Buddhist texts, very few of these have survived, unfortunately. What has been best preserved are paintings in the Ajanta Caves. Here we find miniatures, murals, and paintings both on the cave walls and in temples. In the Middle Ages, the use of egg tempera for painting rose in popularity. This was also the introduction of the practice of glazing to prevent the cracking of paint. New colors also came into play with the introduction of the ingredient of lapis lazuli from Afghanistan. Artists had access to a brilliant ultramarine from this new ingredient. But the huge renaissance, if you will, in paint came with the introduction of oil painting using plant oils in the Renaissance. These days, when it comes to paint, we have two main types, oil and water-based paints. The oldest oil paintings belong to Buddhist monks who created the piece in 650 AD. You can find these in Afghanistan. The paintings were made from walnut and poppy seed oils. From here, in the 14th century, we start to get into tempera painting or egg yolk paints. And for that, I'm going to turn it over to my wonderful sister, Katie, who has painting skills and art history skills and also patience skills, as I'm very grateful that she's agreed to come on and share some of her knowledge with us today. So, Katie, welcome to Hi. Thank You for Toilet Paper. Hi. Yay. <laughs> Happy to be here. Um, welcome to Jonathan's Closet. Thank you. Yeah. We're not in mine today. exotic location. Yes. Mine, uh, a pipe was leaking and so they have cut a hole in my wall and we are now in Jonathan's closet instead which has like you know what I'm not going to disclose the contents of his closet <laughs> <laughs> never mind his closet's great and we're grateful to be here so Katie um we've talked a little bit about a couple of things that we could talk about because you love paint yes yes uh in a completely healthy way <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully know. healthy. But one of the things that you started with was is uh, what I just mentioned the temp- the tempura paintings and egg yolk paint and egg tempura paint which all just sounds like awesome sushi rolls to me well so <laughs> tempura is the is the sushi it's tempura just tempura oh well but- there you go i've been saying it wrong okay tempura well not, i've spelt it wrong too tempura tempura yeah hey, it doesn't tempura. have an oh. <laughs> it's E-R-A. well now i gotta decide whether or not to leave this in <laughs> Yeah, I legit wrote tempura. That's not on me. I'm going to blame that on spell check. Yeah, no, because that's more commonly used word is, I mean, the, is the frying technique. I was so, like... wondering why I was hungry. <laughs> I was like, why does this sound so tasty? <laughs> Egg tempura. I'm sure that's Egg a thing. Egg tempura. Okay. <laughs> Okay, tempera. tempera. Tempera paint. Please talk to us about that. Well, it's it's just for a long time that they, they would use organic materials as like a binder. So there are parts, different parts of the paint. There's the binder that holds the pigment and then there's the pigment itself. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes they would use other things to thin the paint. So in South Africa, they found some examples of raw paint materials, raw pigments and things like that. I don't remember exactly where they found it, but they figured out the technique and it was used. Uh, bone marrow was used as the medium. Because it's mm. kind of an emulsifier, so egg was an is, is an excellent emulsifier, and so that uh, it really grabs onto the pigment. Let's see, it was the bone marrow, and then I believe encosto, which is wax, beeswax, because beeswax was a lot easier to harvest than bone marrow, as you can guess. <laughs> Not um, as many volunteers yeah. for the bone marrow. <laughs> yeah, they didn't I mean, have like donor cards back then. They were like, like yes, I'm sure it was mostly like bovine. Bone marrow. Bone bone. Can you can you explain for us real quick too, like emulsifying? You said it emulsifies really well, but can you explain sure. to us what that? Sure. Means? Emulsification. Yes, that's like <laughs> emulsifying that's kind of a word. tempura. <laughs> yes. I mean, there's a lot of food terms going on in here, so we're gonna get hungry. Yeah, I'm, I'm but, so hungry. Um, so it's, it's mostly used in baking. Uh huh. Um, emulsifiers will make it possible to mix two ingredients that don't normally mix, like oil and water. That's hmm. why eggs are included in a lot of recipes, is because egg mixes with water just as well as it mixes with oil. And so that way the water and oil don't have to mix, mix with each other. They just individually mix with the egg. Oh. So like it grabs onto both. It's like them holding hands. They're, it just creates so a little the chain. the egg is like the bridge, mm-hmm. the peacemaker. I don't know why Red Rover comes to mind, but like Aww. the poor kid in the middle <laughs> during That's Red cute. Rover. He's That's like, so cute. don't fight. <laughs> <laughs> That's adorable. I okay. love that. Okay. All right. So so back to where we were at South Africa last and yes. we got to bovine marrow and yes. not donor marrow. So bovine marrow is, it acts kind of like a polymer of sorts. It is, you know, you can make gelatin from bone marrow and things mm-hmm. like that. So it'll grab onto materials really well so they would use that so it grabs onto the pigment and you can stick the pigment to the wall because it'll grab onto both the pigment and the wall <laughs> this is awesome now i'm thinking of like just sticky putty just yeah this. exactly i'm, sorry. I'm exactly. like all like, over the place like putting today. the the silly putty on the newspaper and then you've got the yeah, comic yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. kind of like that beeswax was a lot easier to harvest than bone marrow mm-hmm. as you said previously um, stated the only problem with the encosto which is the uh beeswax paint is that it can't stand heat very well it would just start to melt. Oh, because it's beeswax. So it's like a huge, colorful candle. Yes. Yeah. So you can find um, encosto and bone marrow paintings sometimes in like caves and and situations like that. in in, um, Non-melty caves. Indoor, for indoor use, basically. (laughs) Indoor use only. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Not for the torch-bearing folk. Yes. And it's, um, they would also use other organic materials like uh, iron oxide was used for red. That's why so many of the Cave paintings were red because iron oxide and clay-like materials were all over the place, and so they could use them a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of cave paintings are mostly red and brown because those are the easiest colors to find in nature. So in the dirt. (laughs) You're able to find it in the dirt. 
Yeah, reds and browns are very plentiful in nature, so that's an easy pigment to find. So eventually they moved on to egg tempera. It won't melt in the sun. Oh. So you can still you can still get tempera paints at the grocery store. But will it scramble? <laughs> it will scramble <laughs> in the sun. Okay. We live you gotta, where we live. Like it gets so hot, the the tar on the like the asphalt would melt. So I'm yep. I'm I wonder, picturing that now because you can temper eggs. Mm-hmm. And then the egg paint is called tempera, so I wonder if it's if there's a similarity between Maybe. the two. I don't know what it means to temper eggs, though. What do you mean? Like, it's to prevent it from scrambling when you're cooking. If you need to create a custard, you add, like, a couple tablespoons of the hot liquid to your eggs and stir them before adding the eggs into the rest of the material, the rest of the mixture. Would explain a lot of my uh, cooking experiences. (laughs) This is why I bake. (laughs) But no, okay, okay. So, all right. So you said that it would last longer and it could go in the sun because it wouldn't melt because it it wasn't beeswax. Exactly. Okay, because it's egg, but does it scramble? The world may never know. The world may never know. I mean, the, the paint goes on in thin layers so like maybe it's not thick enough to scramble scramble? who knows is it it also a face mask we can talk about face masks oh face masks would be good yes like the egg white face mask we'll come back to that Mm -hmm. in cave paintings talking about cave paintings there was a recent discovery by like a a, an art historian he went into a cave i don't remember if it might have been in france or something like that Mm. Uh, but he went into a cave with a farmer because it was not a populated it wasn't a, a, a um well-known like a, trail, a, a well-traveled mm-hmm. cave, so there weren't any electric lights in it. So the farmer As had caves do not normally. Have yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> so like, uh, if if it's a tourist attraction, they'll put up electric lights, uh. and electric lights will wash everything out. Oh. The farmer with him brought a lantern with him, and as they were walking by the paintings, the historian noticed that the paintings looked like they were moving. And when, as the lantern was swinging by, so he asked the farmer to move the lantern back and forth past the painting. Uh-huh. And the cow or the bull or whatever it was, it was some sort of bovine creature, started to move its head up and down. Whoa. Because it, um, have you ever seen those holographic, like, illusion yeah. things? You tilt it and the image changes. It's like that. They carved, like, triangles or squares into, like, into ribbons in the wall and stripes. And so you, as you saw it from one angle, you'd see the image in one way. And they would, they would, like paint three versions of the image with a slightly different position. And as you move the light past it, you would see each one in succession. So almost like a flip book, but like on the wall. Exactly. So it's so cool. There's just so many cool things. See, we thought people were like just telling stories around a campfire. Oh no. No. They were making objects move on cave walls, apparently. Like that's so neat. Tens of thousands of years ago. Yeah, it was not as boring as we thought it might have been. They were not counting ducks. I mean, they might have. That might be fun. Ducks are funny. Ducks are adorable. Oh my gosh, I saw a duck in like a little teacup the other day. Oh Oh my gosh, I died. Uh, (laughs) It was a video. I didn't personally see it, unfortunately. I love that. I was not near a duck. But, or fortunately, I mean, I don't know. Okay, so another question for you. Okay. So Katie and I went on a trip to Italy when I was in London. She came over to visit and we went and hopped across the channel there and went to Italy so that we could see Katie's favorite painting. Yes. And I just have to say, from my perspective, it was the cutest thing I've ever seen. Oh, Not the painting. <laughs> Watching Katie watch the paint <laughs> was, I, it's fine. So I you're was saying, like, I'll just let her have a moment. It, it was, it's a different version of watching paint dry. But yeah, you're watching, yeah, I know. You're watching me watch paint dry, yes. which is like another, I mean, another I was, layer. I was going to say that, but I was like, Liz, it's too many pun, funny things. And then we're related and you said you, it anyways. You know who you're talking to, right? I love I puns. I <laughs> I'm not even sure that counts as a pun. It's just like an actual thing to do. Well, okay. I guess it's an idiom. I don't even know. Ma- not even an idiom. Besides the point. So, 
<laughs> the point being, we went and we saw it was a fresco, wasn't it? Yes, it was a fresco. Not to be confused with fresca. I am just on food today. It's okay. It's okay. We're fresca talking about lots of different soda pop. Fresco is the painting that my sister watched, apparently still dry. So let's yeah. hear about frescoes. So, frescoes are interesting. So there are two painting terms that have to do with fresco. There's alfresco, where you're painting outside, and fresco oh gosh, just means... it just means, sounds like food. I'm right? so sorry. Well, fresco, fresco translates to fresh. Aha. Uh-huh. So, I there mean, you go. fresca I'm is just I'm just going to be quiet fresh so we drink. can learn and not be hungry. Please continue. <laughs> okay. I interrupted. No, fresca is a delicious drink, <laughs> and it is refreshing. <laughs> refreshing fresca. But not... Um, you can watch... You can drink the fresco while watching the fresco. Yes, okay. exactly. Um, and frescoes were painted on wet plaster mm-hmm. usually i think with a water-based ink some of okay. them had like some of them were um egg tempera but uh-huh. i think some were also water-based inks um, but you'd paint while the plaster was wet mm-hmm. so you had to work in sections because as the plaster dried it would like as okay if you paint on the wet plaster the paint sinks into the plaster and the plaster holds the paint in so it's not it's on the surface but also kind of hugged into the pores of the plaster. They're just like, mine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. They take um, an image of the paintings and they can see the different layers of the paint and things oh. like that. If you do that with a fresco, you can see which which sections, sections dried separately from the others. So oh. on the Sistine Chapel, the God creates the waters, uh, separates the land from the waters. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this gorgeous image of God stretching out both arms in different directions and he's kind of in like a flying position almost. Mm-hmm. And you can see a line around his hand. Oh. Just barely. And that's the section. You can tell that Michelangelo spent a day just painting God's hand. Oh, that's so neat. Mm -hmm. And you can see that in the triangular paintings of the lineage of Christ. You can see like lines around their faces. Oh, another benefit of painting on wet plaster is you can sketch uh, you can you can like scratch the oh. you can scratch a sketch into the wet plaster so you have an outline so you don't paint outside the lines per uh-huh. se and in in the Sistine Chapel you can also see this you can see lines around like the legs of the subjects on some of them on on some of the sibyls and on, on some of the figures of the lineage of Christ and things like that you can mm-hmm. see the actual sketch that he did and it reflects his journals where he made he was doing practice sketches of the figures So there are a lot of benefits to painting a fresco. So when I picture painting a fresco, I picture like wet plaster. Again, we're back to face masks. But like, (laughs) but like, you know, a sticky, like wet substance. Is that what they're painting on? How did like, how do do the brushes survive that? So um, I'm not entirely sure what kind of brushes they used. They used horsehair brushes, Mm -hmm. which are the horsehairs are fairly thick and it would hold the paint really well, but they wouldn't like the, the plaster it wasn't liquidy when they put it on the wall. They waited until it was kind of semi-dry. Like, it, they weren't painting it while it was soupy. <laughs> they so would put it, it on the like wall. tacky. Yes. Yeah. Still, so you can how did see, the brush survive that? Um, I think they just have to... They would... I mean, this is just inference on my mm. part. If you just... You make a stroke and then you dry off the paintbrush and repeat. So, like, wow. if you just make... If you, if you move quickly but not too quickly, I'm sure there was a groove that you had to get into. You can't push on the on the plaster too hard, otherwise you'll sm- otherwise you will smoosh it out of the way. Some more inference on my part. Um, since you can see the lines scratched into the plaster, I'm assuming that they did that while uh, the artist did that while it was mostly wet, then waited for a couple minutes and then began painting because you don't you don't really see you can see kind of a slight texture to it, mm-hmm. um, but you don't really see the brush strokes in the same way that you do on like say oil paintings or acrylic paintings things okay. like that. Okay. 
So here's another question. We've talked a little bit already in this episode about kind of the the different um, ingredients that were used. Not all of them, but you've talked to me before that you know about like how the colors were mixed, which ones were super rare, where they came from, like true bright red, don't eat that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, sure. Elaborate. Let's hear about that. Of course, that. of course. There are colors that are more common in nature, like we were talking about before with like the reds and reds, oranges and browns are very easy to come by because a lot of metals will produce red colors, reddish mm-hmm. colors. Mm-hmm. There were some interesting places where, where people sourced their colors. It took a while before they were able to be made synthetically. So oil paints would be a mixture of, by the time you get to oil paint, it's linseed oil uh, as the medium to hold the pigment. Reds, oranges, and browns, very easy to come by. Blue is extremely hard to come by in nature. Oh. Um, I, I can only think of flowers. Certain certain flowers are blue, but and certain bugs. But if you think of green, yeah. Bugs? Bugs. They would use beetle shells all the time oh. as pigments. Yeah, beetle shells, uh, different metals and things like that, like, uh, say, cadmium red uh-huh. is a an extremely bright red. And that's the one you shouldn't eat. Uh, in my oil painting class, I had to be don't, very, very just, careful. Just to clarify, don't eat any of the paints. Don't please. eat any paints. But <laughs> this one in particular. That's true. Yeah, cadmium red. I had to be really careful while I was painting with it. I had to clean up the area because I had to paint at my apartment a lot of times. We had to spend 10 hours outside of class painting because mm-hmm. this was a beginning class. So normally it'd be way more than that. I had to be really careful with the cadmium red because it's toxic if ingested because it's a metal. It's literal cadmium. Uh... There's also cadmium yellow. So you can get different colors from different metals as long as you do the right reaction. So iron oxide produces a red because you oxidize the iron and it Mm. rusts. Beetle shells, just ground up flowers, metals, clay. Blue and purple are probably the the rarest ones to just find naturally without like any chemical any sorts of chemical reactions and things like that. That's really fascinating. I'll have to look into this more but I would just wonder how that translates into dye which would explain why purple was considered a royal color because it would have been so difficult. Mm -hmm. You, well, there's two passions that Katie also has, one of which, only two. I'm sorry, Katie. (laughs) I only have two passions in my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) One of which is mathematical perspective in paint. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Her two passions are mathematical perspective in paint, in paintings, and uh, stained glass windows. So those are Katie's only (laughs) My only passions passions. in life. But um, um, we'll hear more about those, uh, both glass paint, because Katie has worked with that, and in fact, she's doing something with that uh, later, yes. and then perspective in painting, mathematically speaking. Yes. All right, so let's hear about the glass paint first. Okay, to paint on glass, you use glass to paint on glass. So when you powder glass, it's called frit, F-R-I-T, frit. Nice. Um, I feel like it needs a Z. I need a Fritz. 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 <laughs> that's fine. It can say well, Fritz. That's a plural. That's a plural. Fritz. <laughs> um, so you take powdered glass and clove oil, and oh. you mix those two together. It smells great. Whenever yeah. I went to the, whenever I went into the painting oil, painting room, it smelled great. I worked at a stained glass studio for a couple months. But it was great. Frit, clove oil, and then some of the colors include lead for making like um, silvers, blacks, things like that. So the the painters had to be very careful. As they were painting, they had, uh, I believe the painters at the studio had to have a blood lead t- level test like every month. Oh, wow. That makes sense. Well, because so many got sick and died during the Industrial Revolution when we started <laughs> using lead paint. I mean, it got better because Industrial Revolution, we got some more like automated systems. Yeah. Wet, wet the brushes with their mouth. <gasps> what? Mm-hmm. No. All the time. So that's like another topic for another day, but mercury girls, uh, sorry, uranium girls. Oh. They would paint the uranium onto watch faces. 
and then they would lick the brush. No! And they did not become superheroes. No. No. <laughs> they did not, because your body can't tell the difference between calcium and, well, your body treats uranium like it treats calcium and so it takes it straight to your bones whoa oh that's nuts <laughs> it's it's it, yeah it's a don't thing. look up uranium girls unless you want to be depressed okay <laughs> and that's what we aim for on yes this <laughs> sorry okay uh, <laughs> you're good yeah but glass paint so glass paint and you paint on the glass and then you put it in a kiln which is about a thousand degrees which is half of the temperature of the glass melting ovens oh i was waiting for you to say the sun and i was like this is amazing (laughs) (laughs) see that would be crazy half the temperature for it to melt yes for um so usual glass for glass blowing those furnaces are around 2000 degrees and then the to set the paint onto glass it's a thousand degrees and they do that for a couple minutes and the that melts the frit onto the surface of the glass and that's how it binds it. it yes you still have to be kind of careful because it's still a separate layer so you can chip it off but it's a lot more durable so is that how they get like the faces in yes. stained glass windows exactly. and stuff like that? But then with colored glass, it's a different process. It's not yes. the same. With colored glass, they use um, the same materials. A lot of the same materials that you use for coloring paint can be used to color glass. You just powder the glass, powder the pigment, and then melt them together. Okay. Again, at half the power of not the sun. Well, <laughs> uh, when you're making a sheet of glass, it is it is Okay, full. so that'll be you the You want full. to fully uh-huh. melt the glass, yeah. Okay, so just the paint, half mm-hmm. the power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you take the, the silica and the sand. So I learned this the other day. Most, in order to be workable, blown glass, it needs to be at around 96% silica. So we're going to continue, probably not next week, we'll give you a break, but the week after with another episode on paint to just finish this up because our conversation got really big about this and there's so much more to learn. So we will see you next time as we finish up our episode on paint for today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a marvelous day. Take care of yourself. Take care of those you love and just have a terrific time. Thank you so much. Take care.